right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance. My guest tonight is Chance here. He is from the Rut Holsters, a company based out of Colorado. And I came across his product here several months back. And we have a mutual friend in common, Mondo. I mean, it seems like Mondo is an eye spiderweb, seem to be constantly stitching between the two of us, between everybody we know. It's, 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 it's a great feeling to be in, to have. But I saw his holster, and I had recently just picked up a new bino harness. I got the T&K bino harness that has all the molly sides on it. So when I was looking for, I was looking for one, actually, it was, it was, it was funny. Within, I was talking to my buddy Ian. He lives up in New Clare, just north of me. And it's like, I was asking him for recommendations. He is my go-to for when it comes down to guns. Like he's the one that knows the best manufacturers, the best distributors, who actually makes a really good quality. And it's like, granted, you may be spending two to three hundred dollars for it, but it's that so I could rather be have that sticker shock once, buy it only once, and have a really good solid product. And a matter of a week later, I see Mondo's Bino harness show up with his holster underneath it. And so it's like, this is really cool. So it's like, I need to reach out to him. I think this is very out of out of the out of, out of the box thinking for it. And with marsupial and T and K, they have the Molly uh, straps now on all three sides, which is great. So you can actually have some variety. Now that's why I chose this. So reason why I chose it was this right here. I can put this right underneath my bino harness, and then I have this option here too as well. So if I need to, if I'm traveling or wherever I want, or if I want to have it one central location, like in my truck or or on my uh, battle gear, I know where it's going to be at. So that's why I went with the double-sided or the two-sided one right here. And they're really simple. Very simple mechanism to open them up, slide them through, lock them in, you're good to go. Now, the best part, what I liked about this this right here is that it only has one. So this way, when you envision the TNK bino harness, it has two spots underneath the, of it. So they're about an inch wide. You can either go far forward or far back, depending on what you're looking to do here. Now, for me, I went, because I was tree stand hunting, I decided to to move it to the far back and going up and down the tree stands not a single worry about it hitting the steps going up because that's your biggest fear is it going to hit it and it's like if you create that distance between you and the ladder as you're walking up you're not going to run into that scenario i was able to walk up those stairs up this up those ladder sit down and i have to worry about it it's comfortable and the best part is is like you can set it up for either side and nice thing is when you when you go to buy one, you'll let know you'll let chance know what's what you know, what army or what hand you shoot with, right or left hand. So it's perfect. So it sits right underneath there. And anybody that knows anything about going out in the woods in the in the where you have where you're not the only apex predator, you always keep one in the chamber. So I rock a Sig, uh, the Legion X five, so twenty one round magazine. So it's like I am ready to defend myself if I need to come need be it because a few years ago, my wife and I were out hunting. And we had a coyote come within 40 yards. It kind of freaked her out a little bit because she doesn't have a lot of activities with them. So I was like, I wasn't too worried about because there's only one. When you start seeing more of them, that's when you get a little bit more iffy. And uh, ever since then, she's always been encouraging to do it. So we now always, whenever we go out in the woods, we always carry a sidearm with us. So that is something that you need to keep in mind of because you never know when you come across a mountain lion, a bobcat, because those little those little uh, nope kitties get a little, little rambunctious and wild. I mean, there was a video that I just saw literally today where there was these guys are driving on a road, see a bobcat, all of a sudden she decides to come walking with his truck. Luckily, the window is open. It jumps up and hits the window. It's like, 
man, that would have been a very rough situation. But we've seen over the last several months, and we've seen mountain lion encounters and stuff like that. And some people were smart and carried a sidearm, and the ones that didn't, well, that was a very sticky 15 to 30 minute walk because you cannot take your eyes off a massive predator like that because as soon as you turn around, showing weakness and they're going to pounce. And it is just amazing how fast they move. But the best part is, if you get eaten by a cat, they're the ones that are going for the kill, not like a bear or a wolf or a, or a pack of coyotes. So keep that in mind. We're going to be encountering a massive apex predator. So enough of my ramblings here, man. Chance, how you been? Been doing real good. It's been a it's been a busy season of life, just in general. Uh, between this business, I still have my full time job, and then uh, two little girls. So my life stays uh, pretty busy all the time. It seems like uh, doesn't really slow down too much. There's nothing wrong with that, though. It's it's it keeps you keeps you moving towards certain goals and makes you functional and it keeps all the the fluff out of your direction. You 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 make your time very valuable because if you don't value your time, nobody else will. And so that's what we've done. I have this project. I have another. I have multiple projects that I got going on. So I'm always doing something that is always putting me in the next step forward because we all see what's going on with uh, SVB bank there on friday and then you find out that they were just paid out their bonuses prior to the banks collapsing so it's like sounds like an inside job but who i don't know that's that's a, that's for a different podcast so what um tell me about more about you because so we've had a lot of interactions through social media i've, I've facebook stalked you i've instagram stalked you it's like you're very active very fit you're very family oriented you have an a awesome supporting wife which i think that is a, a grand thing to do to be a great thing to have as a arsenal in your in your armory to when you want to do stuff and work as a team and accomplish goals that you never thought you would be able to get to. Yeah, I mean she's this this wouldn't be possible without her. She she is what keeps it running. Um she keeps my books going for me. She keeps track of stuff. She uh keeps me in line, keeps my schedule lined out for me. So yeah, without her, this wouldn't be a thing. She's the one that pushed me to uh, you know, actually make it into a company, make it into what it is and just get out there and get going with it so without her uh, my two little ones you know i always say they're my why for this business um I, I i dream of one day this being the the only business you know having a shop where i can raise my kids they can be there with me when i'm working on stuff they can be there i can have the dogs there and it's just a family shop where i'm building stuff working on holsters doing whatever and uh, i can see them every day versus now you know i work i work oil field here in colorado so i run an eight and six schedule so uh, I see them when I get home, get to put them to bed, but I'm gone before they wake up in the mornings, those eight days. So, you know, I've always said they're my why. They're the reason that, that I, I really wanted to build this, want to continue to build it. And it's just something that I, you know, I found a passion in. I didn't know it was there when I started it. But, uh, I mean, we can get started a little bit more just about me. As uh, I grew up just west of Denver, uh, Arvada, Colorado. Um, did some hunting growing up, not a lot. Grew up rodeoing. Um, so rodeo season tends to overlap with a lot of hunting seasons, especially through high school. Um, you know, you're either rodeoing in the spring or in the fall. And uh, those were, that was my goal for, uh, from the time I was probably 14 when I got on my first saddle bronc horse to the time I was 27, 28, decided I was done getting on them was, you know, just chase rodeo and that was the dream. So what got you into, into be, what got you into wanting to be a rodeo? Now, were you a rodeo clown or were you a buck rider? What was your... Uh... Uh, yeah, I rode saddle bronc horses and I just, we grew up around horses. We'd always had horses growing up. Um, I'd been riding horses for as long as I can remember. Uh, tried to get on a couple bulls once when I was younger and that just wasn't for me. And, 
you know, I saw guys riding bucking horses and I mean, I'd had some of my horses kind of buck on me, not really buck, but try to, and uh, I'd been able to ride them. So I thought, what the heck, I could ride one there. And that kind of started me down a road of, uh, you know, going down and learning from world champions in Oklahoma to following all the way through college up in Riverton, Wyoming. I went to school up there and rodeoed for Central Wyoming College, uh, all the way to the PRCA and uh, professional rodeo. Uh, and just chasing that dream, just rodeo and riding bucking horses. And, you know, that's that was it for a long, long time. And if I got a chance to, you know, go do some pheasant hunting here or there, we did a lot of pheasant hunting growing up. Not a lot of big game hunting, but when we had the time to, we'd go out to my family's in Nebraska, hunt some pheasants, hunt some turkeys here or there if we had the opportunity to. But mostly, you know, it was my nose was to the grindstone rodeo. And, um, you know, that's where my my love for working out, that's where my love for all that started was, you know, trying to be in the best shape I could for that. And then as I got older and became more and more into hunting, I've just rolled that over into the hunting world. Just that, that need to be in shape, that need to work out, that need to feel the best I can. Perfect, man. That's a, a great way to keep those same disciplines going instead of getting lazy or just getting kind of relaxed in your own run of things in life. So what, uh, stop the rodeo dream. What, what, uh, something big happened. Oh yeah. Uh, well, a couple things happened. Uh, I, when I rodeoed, I was kind of the life of the party. Um, I was kind of the guy that was, I was there to be serious and ride, but when the rodeo was over, I was, I was the life of the party. And, uh, right before when I was right around 27, right before I was getting ready to go hit some big rodeos and stuff like that, I, uh, Pride. Well, I can say I absolutely had a few too many, and I rolled a pickup five times um, on my way home to my house. Shouldn't have been driving. Made the bad big boy decision, and uh, they found me about 50 to 100 feet away from where the truck stopped after it had rolled five times. Um, I walked away with scratches and bruises, and, you know, since then, it's that kind of got my attention, told me I needed to grow up, start doing things right, and then obviously dealing with all the consequences and lining out those consequences and doing what you have to with those and doing it the right way. Um, that kind of put the end of the rodeo stuff for a while. And, you know, through my DUI, well, DWAI is what I was actually charged with. Um, uh, me and my wife actually started dating. I'd known her since we were kids, high school. Um, I was one of her brother's groomsmen. Her brother's one of my best friends. Um, and that kind of just got us talking again and went on a couple of dates and uh you know we we say maybe we don't recommend starting a marriage off of a DWAI but it worked out pretty well for us in the long run um and then you know you get start settling down have a couple of kids and rodeo doesn't quite go the same as it used to anymore it's a little harder to get everybody on the road into a rodeo and all that stuff so which is completely understandable now it's like you could be you could appreciate everything you went through in those first few years now you can bring all the kids in. You can show them, like, I used to do this. I used to be part of this. Story. You can just relay them your experiences for it. So now you can tell a story. Like this time back in 2000 blank, you can kind of fill in the blanks to tell them your history and such. I remember growing up with my dad and seeing him go when we go to, like, the destruction derbies and stuff like that. He used to tell me, like, yeah, back in this day and this this year, so like we I won this one. I won this one. And then after people started figuring out that I'm really good at it, and then he's like, I stopped because – I was always the first one out. And it's like, it took him only like two fairs to figure that he was the sole purpose that everybody was going after him first and then kind of changed the whole thing. Cause he had a knack for vehicles and he still does at 70, going to be seven years old here in May. So he's got that, uh, 
perspective, like what what to go through. And it's always nice to hear a somebody respect talk about what they went through in their in their years, stuff like that. And just talk about stories to make them not feel like they're your they're a superhero, but make them look human in a way that like they'll be able to pass this knowledge down to their kids to keep that legacy moving forward there. And so how long did, when did you actually start officially getting into a bigger game like mule deer, whitetail, elk? Uh, I started, that would be about six years ago, I would say, is when I really got into the big game stuff. Um, you know, went up with my, you know, started kind of, didn't even start really rifle hunting, started straight into muzzle loaders um, just because of the time frame and the season up here of getting to hunt elk during the rut. Um, you know, I got with my brother-in-law and some of our buddies and we we're like, Hey, let's go muzzleloader. Well, went muzzleloader one year, we didn't have any luck, but then it was, you know, the next year I started looking at it and well, shoot, it's the same time frame. but if you're archery hunting, you get a whole month out here in Colorado to hunt elk. So I might as well go get me a bow set up and be able to take as much advantage of that time frame as I can. You know, from there, it's kind of just been a, a downward spiral. My wife says I'm that person that if I decide to do something, it's, it's all in or nothing. And uh, I mean, it was, I went deep down the rabbit hole right off the bat and we, uh, we haven't really looked back. I've got her with a bow. Now we go shoot 3d about once a week at a little local 3d league, bring the girls and they get to run around and play and, you know, looking at hopefully getting her out to do hopefully some big game hunting this year with her bow. Um, but yeah, you know, other than that, it was kind of just all in on archery. I, I, I have a similar relationship when it comes down to that, uh, chance my experience was that i used to be gun hunting for for a lot for a lot of years so all i did was shotgun hunt second week of minnesota but i got kind of got bored of it because it's like you you hunted so for so many years you're you you wait you show up they walk in front of you you pull the trigger you hear the bang and you see that you either missed it or you hit it and you go from there i wanted to have a longer time out in the woods and that's where archery came into play it's like oh i can hunt from mid-september all the way until New Year's Eve. It's like that sounds a lot more fun. I'm gonna do that because it's like now I can be able to take advantage of it. And my hunt lane was wasn't too far, and so I just kind of went into it and like got turned on from it by Cameron Haynes and Joe Rogan and Steve Rinella, a lot of like pop, uh, influential people that kind of like you just get it. Just it's a natural evolution because archery is this proving ground where you can only get better, and we constantly practice. So this way, then we we weed out any possible errors that could happen prior to the big big hunt but we all have been in situations where we've either hit the hit an animal in a non-vital spot over or or you didn't uh test out your field point and figure out where how far it drifts to let i'm guilty of that this year that was my big uh take back this year so that's just kind of where i kind of fall this that had the relation to it i've only been hunting for Let's see here, 2015, 20, late 2014 is when I started hunting. So almost 10 years. Wow, these 10 years are gone by fast. I really actually didn't put all the years together until you figured out. I could, I put the years together for like for how many years I've been playing paintball. I mean, I'm almost reached 30 years here and, and just like four more years for playing paintball for 30 years. I just absolutely love the sport. I can talk to you about it to the, the ends of the days, end of days when it comes down to paintball and, and practice and consistency and communication and all that fun stuff. Because I got to run with some some highly skilled people. Yeah, I mean that's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Go right on ahead. 
I mean, that's just kind of the thing is once you, once you get into it and you get into that, into that archery hunting or any of it, it's, it just becomes that addiction almost of just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the, the longer shot. If you're just shooting 3d, I know a lot of people shoot 3d and it's just like, how far can I reach out? You know, you go to events like total archery challenge, you go to events like any of those and you, you get good up close and you're like, I wonder if I could shoot out a little bit further. And you know, it's, it's just those moments of, uh, can I do it or can I, I mean, and for having to, you saying having to track one down, I was, uh, my brother-in-law lives up in Conifer. He's got some private land and I got a rifle tag, private land rifle doe tag. And I was like, oh, this will be easy. Like, we'll just go up there. Well, I don't ever shoot my rifles ever because all I spend time behind is my bow. Like 90% of the time that I'm like, I called him and I was like, I know that this rifle is not sighted into mine. I was like, you got one that's good. And he's like, yeah, just come shoot mine. I, you know, I got a coyote with it at, you know, 200 yards the other day. It should be dead on. You're not going to be that far away from something. So I was like, yeah, great. So we go up there and I get a doe lined out that have a pretty decent shot on her. It must be the height difference because he's about six inches or so shorter than me to where he anchors. I hit just low and take a chunk out of her left front leg and then blow all the way through the right front leg. Well, we had my two nephews who are younger and, you know, they're like, well, what do we do now? I'm like, oh. This is where hunting gets real, boys. Like, this is where we start following blood, and it's snow, and it's dark out. We got headlamps on. We called all the neighbors to be like, hey, she might have crossed the fence. Are you okay if we cross over and look for So if you see headlights out there? And everybody, everybody was super nice. And we finally found her and got her, you know, got another round in her, got her finished off and hauled her down off the mountain. But it's just those moments that they can be heartbreak. But then at the end, you know, once you get there, it's just that good feeling of, of being able to accomplish it and for us being able to teach, you know, a younger generation that, hey, what you see all the time on TV and everything else, it don't always go that way. Sometimes it's a walk around for three, four hours at night in the dark and the snow, you know, blood was getting covered up by the snow, making it harder to track her, harder to get a found because that uh, rifle season for those private land does, I want to say that year went all the way until January 31st first so you had a lot of time and it, we got into that heavy winter snow and it was just at first it was like great we got snow on the ground we can track her well then it started snowing and it was that moment of like well now this easy tracking job just got a lot harder as it starts covering everything up that is for sure i've been in your shoes where you're tracking down deer and stuff like that and you're you're seeing the blood disappear you're seeing the the footprints disappear and it's like well this just got a whole lot of interesting so that's where you just got to trust your gut and you just you, you be patient with it. Because I know I've bumped a lot of deer over the years because I got a little too impatient. And it's like, well, you just got to kind of just think of the worst case scenario. You shot him far back in the gut. So it's like, well, give her four or five hours. Granted, it's going to be rough, but it's like I coming from hunting public land for when I was or private land when I was gun hunting, kind of knew where the does are going to run. So I kind of just kind of have the, the, the suspicion where I know where I'm going to find them at. So, But now I hunt a lot more public land. So that could be kind of a, uh, a shot in the dark when, you, when that comes down to it. But I kind of pick and sh I plan what I can and cannot hunt. And sometimes, though, the, the, I can't hunt on days it snows. So it's like not like I, it's, I'm trying to avoid it, but just that it's just that's just how life is. But I uh, want to make a shout out to these nice rut holsters right here. It's a nice coaster, cozy for your, for your alcohol. So... 
I'm kind of curious about this, or beverage, beverages, to say, because not everybody drinks. So, where'd you come up with the idea to doing these slap bracelets? Because this this is a flashback of the '90s here for me. So, I actually, my uh, one of the vendors that I used to do some of our custom printing had them up on the website, and me and my wife saw them, and we we thought the same thing. Being, you know, I was born in '85, so I grew up in the '90s, and her brother's the same age as me, so she's she's a little bit younger than all of us, but. Uh, she uh she we saw them and i was like you've got to be kidding me we ordered them in and we're like they're adult snap bracelets that's all we could think of when we saw them like like and everybody we saw was like these are great like they're adult snap bracelets i was like you know what like we'll just order some in for for marketing purposes they're great they're fun they're they work great you can roll them up shove them in your pocket if you're out somewhere so you don't have something big you're lugging around and uh yeah it was just one of those things that was just like might as well and uh we we enjoy them. She's got some ones that she made for herself that are leopard print and everything else with the logo. I tend to keep mine a little more uh, tame. I've got the American flag one and then some of the, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of our holsters we do is that topo design on that uh, Kyle. So this is just a pure marketing thing. This is pretty cool. Cause the best part is when you do it, you just put it around your wrist. You just, you, and you, well, if you're if you're walking around, you want to flip it the other way. So this way everybody can see your 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 logo. You know, it's like you want you want to always be advertising, you know. But it, it it makes sense though. It's easy because it's like with this around my wrist, nobody's gonna steal it, and I'm not gonna forget it in my pants when I go to wash them. Because it's gonna be right there. Because like when you're with a bunch of group of guys, you're not gonna stop uh, drinking a tasty beverage just because it the uh, it gets dark outside. It's very true. It's very true. So how did you get into? What was the inspiration behind getting into making Kydex holsters? It's pretty funny actually. When it all comes down to it, uh, one of my best friends, Shane Stevens. Uh, he moved up to Montana, but uh, we were both looking for an option to carry while we were hunting. Everything I found, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I was like, well, I could order one for, you know, 50, 60, 100 bucks, whatever we found that we kind of liked. And I could tear it down out in the garage, re-put it back together with how I wanted it, change out stuff, do all that. And I was like, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, man, it's it's almost like we're going to have to pay double to reset up a Kydex holster for what how we want to carry it. And so I was like, you know what? At that point, I was like, let me start looking around. And I just hopped on and started looking at some of the stuff for making Kydex. And when I got the price in it out, I was like, honestly, for the two of us, we could do it for almost the same price as what we're looking at, you know, just to get in and get kind of some of the basic stuff to try it and see if we could do it. We could, we could do it for a little bit more money, but we could get in and make exactly what we want, have that set up just how you want it on your pack or whatever it was. But back then it was just the pack holsters. I didn't, I hadn't done any of the vinyl stuff yet. Um, and so we were like, shoot, let's do it. And so I got into it and started messing with them and started making, you know, some concealed carries, some outside the waistband holsters along with it for people on the side. And it was kind of just a, a side gig. I don't know that it was ever going to be more than a side gig at that point in time. I, I had an LLC. I didn't have a name. It was just me in the garage making some holsters here and there when, you know, a buddy would hit me up and say, hey, can you make me one? Or whatever it was and uh you know he he needed one he was going up to hunt montana for the first time so he just got in his glock 20 and he's like i need something reliable because you know we're going into grizzly bear country and i don't want i don't want to mess around and you know i hunt here in colorado we don't have grizzlies we don't have nothing too too terrible but we got black bear we got mountain lion that it's just that comfort of having it with you being accessible knowing it's going to last you're not going to drop it 
I mean, I, the number of guys I know that have thrown it in a canvas holster or something like that and lost their gun when they're five miles back into the woods and don't realize until they get back to the pickup, you know, you're not making that five mile trek back to go look for it at that point half the time. And even if you do, the odds of finding it are slim and none. So um, that was kind of what, what started me down this rabbit trail that became rut holsters. Um, it was just those, that moment of we both needed something. We couldn't find what we liked. And, you know, I didn't know if I could do it better than anybody else, but I knew I could at least make what I wanted and make it work, especially when I was looking at the backpack stuff and how to mount, how they attach to backpacks, um, all that type of stuff. So when did you, when did you start learning about uh, getting into this craft? Because I'm looking at RUT, like what I'm seeing R-U-T with the period after each one. So it's an acronym for something. Yeah, so um, we started trying to come up with a name, and my wife was like, just pick a name, pick a name. And I was like, it's got to be the right name. Um, so rut is uh, retained under tension um, because that's technically what Kydex holsters do is it's just a tension retention system. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Like for what I want to do, the hunting world, the acronym works. It ties back into the hunting stuff. You know, we're all, everybody hunts the rut. Um, and it was just, it was just the perfect name for for what I was looking for at the time. And uh, my wife's pretty handy on the computer on top of doing my books. She's, she got on, started messing with my logo. I have a good buddy, Nick Ford that uh, hopped on and helped her kind of get the logo worked out and everything put together. And uh, we, you know, we LLC'd and from that point on it, it was uh, kind of been nonstop moving forward. We did some uh, events last year where our first events actually going as vendors and going to do some more this year, but, you know, it really took off with that bino setup, like what you were showing. Um, that that was kind of the thing that just kind of made us. As I made, like you were showing yours, okay. But I was just playing around in the garage, and I'd gotten on and seen this mounting deal on one of the suppliers that I bought from, and I was like, man, looking at the marsupial gear and the T and K, I was like, I wonder if I could just take one of them, run it to the bottom of like put it on the top, figure out a way to do it. And it took some playing with them. The first ones weren't pretty, um, but it worked. The first one I did, I kind of had to play with it. It wasn't the prettiest setup I'd ever done, but it was kind of just a prototype. But I took some pictures of it. I had a marsupial gear harness on at the time. And I just took some terrible selfie pictures. Ter like, I mean, in the mirror, holding the phone down, trying to get the picture, moving it around all over, just, just terrible selfie pictures. I threw them up on Instagram. And I tagged marsupial gear in it. Well, marsupial gear shared it. And from then the messages started coming into my Instagram of like, hey, like, that's pretty awesome. Can I, can you, can you put one of those together for me? Can you do this for me? Like, what can you do with them? Um, and that's where we kind of started moving on from just the single mount there or just like the single backpack mount or like you had the dual molly or whoop, single molly mount. Um, yeah, I have I have the dual molly mount, one vertical, yep. one horizontal. Yep, and this is similar, just the dual mount. This is just a tack lock, so it'll go to a wide pack belt. It'll go to molly. It'll go to a standard belt, just a little bit of a different option on it. Um, but, you know, from there, it was kind of just playing with it and developing a system that worked. And, um, you know, the ability to customize them, find them some places that can print for me, that I have a good relationship that I can send them what I want and they know how to print it for me, get my Kydex just right for me so that I don't have to spend, you know, two hours out here trying to line one up on holster mold to get it to where it sets and lines up. But, but that was kind of where, where it was birthed was just, I didn't like what I could find and figured I'd 
try and put something together and then one day playing in the garage with the molly clip and the vinyl harness one you know it worked out pretty slick and um, we've done a lot of vinyl harnesses a lot of the backpack ones you know those molly ones are great any pack belt that's got molly webbing on the side of it um, anything like that they just work great for that and give you that ability you know my favorite thing is giving people the ability to move them um, out here in the west there's times i might want it on my vinyl harness there's times i might want it on my pack belt you know my buddy shane wanted one he could keep on his hip when he needed to so he just runs a tack lock to his backpack but you can pull this off and put it on your belt so when he's in camp up there in montana he can pull that right off clip it on his belt and he's not without that sidearm while he's walking around in camp he doesn't have to have it strapped here he doesn't have to be packing it around i mean i know the chest rig isn't anything new but i didn't want another strap around me seems like we go hunting and we strap on a bind harness you strap on a backpack you got 20 million different webbing straps ran around you as it is the last thing i wanted was to have to throw one more webbing strap around me to keep my pistol where i wanted it that's that's my exact thing too as well it's like i've been looking at it too and there's most of them are all either a chest carry or on your thigh and it's like or on your hip but it's like i wanted something that's centralized because if if things go wrong, I want to be able to have my muscle memory kick in to where my my where I know my pistol's at every single time, and that's why I went with the bino harness because you never know when that when that situation is going to happen. Because I was actually hunting. True story. What happened this past this October? I was hunting with at my buddy's place, Jeremy from the Toxin app, hunting on his on his land, and not even eighty yards away there on my trail cam. A couple nights later there was a, a sow and two cubs and it's like just think if i had to run into her and what it was i didn't i had no idea she was there jeremy had mentioned that there was a bear hunter last year that hunted his property or they drew a tag in his area never didn't uh didn't connect with one but then all of a sudden i check my muddy cam it's like oh look at this we have a mama and two bears like two cubs like this is not the situation i want to be in so that's a that's a unique thing about being in Wisconsin. We have so many black bears, but you can't get inside your own head because like you can start to think every single bush is a black bear or a shadow is a black bear. So you just kind of go with the punches because if it happens, well, you're going to dance and you hopefully you can survive. Yeah, definitely. And and Shane, you know, like I said, with him going up to Montana, him and a couple other guys, they were really pushing to have something for that grizzly bear country because they're just a different beast. They're just a you know, here in Colorado, when I get back to camp, I know I'm not going to get messed with if I'm camping by the truck. Um, but up there, I mean, there's been enough stories of them being at trailheads, of them being everywhere, that it's just that you want to make sure you have something reliable, something on you. And like I said, I've, I've heard too many stories of guys losing them. A guy I work with, actually, before I went up elk hunting this year, had been talking to me. He's like, I need to get one. I need to get one. Never did ended up losing his pistol while he was up there out of an old canvas one got a new pistol and he's like all right we'll be touching base this year because i'm getting one from you because <laughs> <laughs> they're expensive especially if you get like an x if you get a 10 millimeter or a 45 i mean that really adds up and, and as a, and as if you're a man buying with one of those calipers or a larger one you you need to protect yourself because you know what you could come up against out in the wilderness you know you never know when you run across bigfoot you know Oh yeah, definitely. You never, you never know what's out there. And I mean, you never know who's out there. You never know. It's a, it's a crazy world we live in on top of it. And, you know, we still do some of the concealed carry, some of the, all of those are still options we make. Um, everything from ones that fit in 
you know, women's leggings that they can carry. That was one my wife was real big on was the ability to have a concealed carry holster that'll clip into her leggings so that she can carry without a belt on. Because most of your concealed carries, you have to have a belt on to hook that clip over to have it retain and to have a system where she can do that. And I mean, I took her little uh, SIG P365 and threw it in my compression shorts when we were messing with it and went out for a three mile run with that pistol in my compression shorts and it never moved, never had an issue, never did nothing. I was like, if I can do that with it, you know, then it's perfect for, for her, you know, running to the store doing something. Cause it's just a different world. Oh gee. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly right, man. You, you, especially if your wife's big into true crime, like mine is, you start, you start listening to everything. And it's like, man, this is just really weird, especially when you can start seeing tall tale signs of creepers and all that other unique things, but you never know what's going to happen. And I had a pleasure of sitting down with Tony Blower. I don't know if you ever, ever heard of him or met him before. He created what they call the fear system, and it basically is breaking down to uh, a means of self-defense. And he, he primarily teaches hand-to-hand combat with police officers and military and such. Well, he also has a thing for for geared towards ladies and stuff like that, because most people that you have to prepare for is a sneak attack, because you can pretty much kind of gauge your environment based off your experiences and how other things happen, but it's the it's the sneak attack that comes through it. And it was it was on an old podcast I used to host or co-host with, but it's no longer running anymore. Well, I all I did is sat there and listened. We just asked him questions, and he just really divulged a lot of crucial information that really helps puts puts things into perspective when it comes down to uh, how vulnerable a person can truly be. You know, he is big proponent is like if you're single female or if you're a female going out to your vehicle, have more than one knife. Like have a fixed blade in your door because. If a guy's gonna come up behind, he's gonna wrap. He's gonna do it when you're bent over, and you're not gonna. You're in a, in a vulnerable spot. But if you can get your hand over your left hand, you can grab a fixed blade out of your door. You run right back and you hit him right in the groin. You hit that artery. That that the fight's over with. And so, with with having your idea, creating a secure holster for your wife for the P365, that's just a great story to hear that you that you really continued to. Uh, moving forward with your craft and trying to figure out other means and other markets to, to try to get your product in. Yeah. I mean, we've got them now. I, I can do some of the, uh, you know, the vinyl mounts for even like some of your stone glaciers, they have a Molly, but it's a wider. And so I had to play with them a little bit and, you know, get my hands on some stuff and just mess with how that clip worked, especially once you get a pistol in at the weight, the bow of the clip and make some retention clips to hold it up. Um, but it's, you know, for me, that's, that's the part of it I enjoy. I enjoy making them. I enjoy building them. You know, I get out here and get to working and I can be out here half a day working before I realize what's going on. And then the other side is, you know, coming up with a new idea. People invest in me like, Hey, could you do this? I'm like, I don't know yet. Let me, uh, give, give me some time to play with it. Let me see what I can put together. Um, I'll run some demos, play with it a little bit. And, and that's fun for me. Just that, that experiment of like, can I do it or can't I, you know, of, somebody that's like, well, I've never seen this done before. Can you pull it off? And I'm like, I'm willing to try. I can't guarantee it, but I'm willing to at least give it a go and see if I can pull it off. And, uh, you know, I'll get out here and spend time just mocking up something and half of them get thrown in the trash because they don't work. And then the other half of them, I'm like, Hey, well, you know, I actually managed to do it this time. And, you know, I have enough scrap Kydex or leftovers off of pieces that I'm like, I can build something out of that. You know, the trigger guards have been, 
super popular. I made one for my wife, just slips right over the trigger of her pistol so she can keep it in, you know, her center console. She always has it in her center console. Well, the holster takes up so much room and we got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Those trigger guards retain enough that a two-year-old or a five-year-old can't get it off. And on top of it, if she's digging around inside her center console, it's still secure and safe because the trigger's covered. Um, but then when she, when you grab it, it's just that quick pop, pull the trigger guard off, and you're cleared. Um, you know, and that was a guy who messaged me and just asked. He's like, "Hey, could you make a trigger guard?" And I was like, "Never made one. Let me uh, let me play around with it, see what I can do, see what I can come up with." And as soon as I made one, I was like, "Well, making one for my wife—that's for dang sure," because I want to make sure she's she's taken care of. And as soon as she saw the first one, she's like, uh, I need one of those to, uh, put inside, put on mine inside the glove box. And I was like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. That's phenomenal, man. I've been looking at different means to be able to, cause with having a truck, you have a little bit more versatility and stuff like that to figure out where, where, where can I put it at? Cause you don't want to have it in a situation where if you get an accident, you lose it or it gets like you lost in the vehicle, but you also need to have someplace secure. And anybody that does concealed carry training, it's like, you never want the gun to be off your person. So, but it's like when you're traveling long distances, or if you want to have like a backup pistol, trying to figure out means to secure it. It's like, so like Green Man Tactical makes some really good Molly gear where you can screw it into like your door panel or underneath your dash or underneath your. So it's like, that's the best part about having this particular system that you have. You can run it through there and you're good to go. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not the, like a metal or, or aluminum one because there's not much spacing in between here, but I'm sure you could, if you get yourself some Molly or. Like that you'd be able to figure it out that but you know uh tnk has his uh molly system too as well that you can get and put a drape over the back your back seat of your car now and just there's people out there that have been playing around with cloth versions of it now you got to figure out what what makes the most sense for you and your vehicle as a storage because you're always going to keep a primary on you but maybe you want to have a little more nicer one or more expensive one when you know you're going to be i don't know you'll, you'll figure out what you want to put it into it right and that's i mean that's the biggest thing for for us is just that ability to have that adaptability in whatever you're carrying. Um, like I said, that's why I love these, these dual mounts. Um, they just, for me, that's, that's the way to go. You know, some people like just having that standard vinyl mount and it works great for them. And 90% of the time that's where mine's at, but there's times where like, Hey, I'm going to pull it off and throw it on a pack belt instead because you know, for whatever reason, maybe I'm leaving, maybe we're in thick country. I'm going to leave my binos in the truck today and just go crash some brush and I'm, I don't need them, but you have that ability to not have to have them on there if you don't want to, or if you want to throw, you know, a, a muff or something on underneath your vinyl harness they're making now to keep your hands warm while you're out there, you could move it over to your pack belt and still, still have one holster that does the job of two or three of them. It's kind of the whole purpose behind it is you don't have to buy two holsters you don't have to try and get them both set up with the retention you want because that's you know as you know our retention's all just that one single screw right there so once you adjust that right where you want it it's set and you don't have to mess with it you can tighten it down a little bit if you want to i mean i run mine fairly tight i know some guys that run theirs fairly looser because that's just what they're comfortable with um but you can set that and not have to worry about it i can move from my bino harness to my back and I know it's still going to retain. I'm not grabbing a holster that maybe I haven't messed with in six months out of the, you know, the gearbox or whatever, throwing it on a pack and hoping it's set right. And, you know, get halfway out into the field and realize this is loose and I don't have a screwdriver on me to adjust it. Definitely. This one, I don't know if this one will relate to you or if you have an idea on this, but 
Is there an idea that experts in your field say that say that you don't agree with? Not really. Um, you know, I, I I follow a few other holster Kydex holster guys, but kind of just run and do my thing. Um, I don't I don't chase. I guess after a lot of what they say, I kind of just have found what works for what works for me, and I kind of just do it. Um, I kind of live in that in my vein and just kind of enjoy it. You know, we. We were talking a little bit before we got started. You know, there's other companies out there make great holsters. Um, there are. And I'm not going to say they don't, but they make a different product than I do. And there's enough, you know, we, we, we're we lucky living in the United States. There's enough pistols out there. We can all have enough business and we don't have to fight. We don't have to badmouth. We don't have to belittle. Um, I think that's the coolest part about getting into this industry over the last few years is just support from companies and you know, support from other holster makers and just there's enough of them out there. Why fight over it? Why why battle over it? Just stay in your vein, do your thing. There's no need to badmouth. There's no need to belittle anybody. Oh, very wise, very wise words to be said right there, man. So my story behind my experience with the the your kayak with the rut holster here is that the same picture that if you guys went on my Instagram right now, you'll see that it is a video of me taking this while I was in a tree stand. Uh, back in October, and I, I was the same about you too. It's like, how can I make a really cool video and work with lighting that I have? Because it's like I got a nice camera and lighting around me to have the avoided. So I actually made it turn out. I thought it was pretty cool how it turned out. But as it, as the day progressed, I mean, it was right at dusk, right right at that last magic hour, that last forty five minutes of the day. I had a doe walk out forty five yards, no, twenty five yards. Pardon me. Drew back on her. Didn't even have to bleed at her. She stopped right where I wanted her. She read the script. I couldn't ask for a better shot. Well, you know how I was talking about how I, I didn't account for the arrow drift for the weight of the, the weight of the, the the broadhead. That's what happened. It's where I had the pin set at, and where the arrow hit her at is exactly what happened. Is like I did not tune. I didn't. I didn't tune everything properly like I should have. I just kind of went in there knowing that the. Broadheads from VIP usually typically fly like a a um, field point. I must have had a 125 grain arrow uh, broadhead on it, so that little bit of weight drifted it forward to the right, a front ahead of the front leg. And you know that you got that little gray area, that brisket there, where you can punch right through the rib cage but not hit anything vital. That's what happened to me. And it's as I'm like kind of going back and reflecting on that experience, exactly what happened. So. But where this comes to play here is that I tweet me and my buddy tracked this deer up and down the bluff at the bottom of a bluff for 200 and some yards. And I'm talking where my knees are touching my chest and, and I'm bouncing up and down. It's like, and of course, when you're in, when you're in search mode, everything else around you doesn't matter. All you're thinking is where am I going to find the next blood? And I never had to worry about this. I mean, I really walk through brush that's, vines running up against that could possibly rip it out and it did not fail on me and that's my testimonial on it and you could take that and take it to the bank because this is this did its job and, and it's like i didn't even have to mess with the, the tension here i just left it alone and because it had the right amount that i want on it so this way then when i do go through because i know what type of material i go through or what what brush i'm gonna be going through for for on public land to get from point a to point b so that's where my, my testimony comes with it, and I really highly recommend anybody getting one. And the fact that you're able to make me one that's an X5 Legion, not a lot of people make 
holsters for that particular make and model. And the fact that now that I have one holster that I can pull from a hip to my bino harness in a matter of seconds, I am pretty pumped about it, which I do need to get the uh, the the belt clip for it. So this way that I can just remove this off and then put it on there. So this way then, because I won't use, I don't have any, well, currently I don't have any pack setups where I'll be having this horizontally, but vertically I always carry like this. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just, we try to test them, take them out, you know, whether we're going up to shoot a 3D course in the mountains, I'll throw a, even if I just throw a mold gun in so I'm not packing my pistol around up there and doing everything else while we're out on a 3D course, whatever it is, but that, taking them on runs, taking them on hikes, um, you know, I carried mine on my elk hunt up there this year and, you know, packed it around for five days and I think I did between 10 to 12 miles a day up there. Um, through everything from thick timber to burns to up and down and all over the place. And, you know, that's that's just how we test them is put them in the field, put them to work, um, make sure the idea is going to work before we put anything out there and start trying to put a product out there we haven't tested. Um, it's just that, that due diligence, I think, is just so important to make sure it's going to work. And, you know, the, the biggest headache we have is what you just said is finding molds. There's a lot of pistols out there. They don't make a mold for Kydex for yet. I've got some, I've got some companies that'll work with me and make some stuff. Um, but we do everything from if we can find them, lighted models to red dot ready to everything, um, and that's all just notes that go in the cart on our website that just let me know what we need to do. Um, but luckily, I'm going to be able to hopefully do a little bit more with the lighted stuff. Um, I got one of my suppliers started making just light molds that'll attach to the mold guns so any gun i have that has the ability to carry a light i can mold, throw that light on there mold it and i don't have to worry about buying a you know you say glock 20 with a tlr1 i can just buy the glock 20 mold buy the tlr1 mold and that light can go from mold to mold and i don't have to double up molds i don't have to double up everything else so um, those are kind of just some of the exciting things that are that are starting to come out that I'm starting to see being made is that that need that want of of people want to carry lights, people want to have a laser, people want to have that stuff in a Kydex holster because there's just not a lot out there for that at the moment. Yeah, that's that is a very good thing to have because especially when because the only built yeah, that's the thing about it, you create such a a customizable product that you don't have to you don't have to pigeonhole yourself like well we only use Surefire or we only use uh, Hollow Sun. These are the only ones we make for them just because that's all that's all they want to make for them. But with you having that customization is one step more because I don't I don't think I've seen a customized I don't I didn't do a whole lot of digging in because you had everything I wanted, but I don't see very many places offering an opportunity to place a logo on your holster. Right. And that's I mean, we've done them um, logos for all types of businesses, um, all types of guys out there and you know, my my wife's got one that's got Deadpool riding a unicorn all over it. Um, she's got this one here, which is the camo with the Hawaiian flags. Uh, or not Hawaiian flags, but Hawaiian flowers plus the Rut logo. So, you know, I think I end up making more holsters for her than I do for anybody else because she sees a new pattern or something she likes. And it's, uh, hey, can you make one for me in that? And I'm like, how many do you need? Like, you already got one of every kind. She's like, yeah, but I don't have it in that color. And I'm like, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. But, you know, that's the best part of it. That's, that's, she creates marketing for you by just making 
all these unique uh, holsters and different color patterns and such. Now, I was looking through your catalog here. Do you sell your individual pieces? Like for for if I need to, like I mentioned, I need to, I want to get the 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 belt mount mount for it. Do, I don't see that on your your website as an opportunity to purchase that accessory. I don't have them. It's something that I honestly I'd, I'd never thought about adding them on there. You know, it's 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 the hindsight's twenty twenty, but that's oh, something definitely I got you. to start putting on there is uh start looking at how to get those those items out to people, how to get those uh set up where you know people could run either one of them or have that setup ability to to swap them out and have that. But yeah, definitely, you know, you just gave me a great idea of something that I'm I'm missing. So now I'll get to spend another day on the computer trying to figure out how to update the website because that's my my weakness is uh sitting there scratching my head staring at a computer. I'm I'm the guy that just likes to be out building stuff and doing that stuff but you know from my real job to to this I'm, I'm the guy that's like just let me get out and get to work enough computer work paperwork all the rest of it let me just let me go get my hands dirty and work on something yeah, i completely understand that the kids are not quite old enough to to learn a second skill because these are plastics but it's like i've seen these on amazon but it's like i have no idea if this would even match your uh well the nice thing is it has a brand name on uh, blade tech so you could probably go and find the distributor and buy them that way, but it's like it's always nice to go directly to source and buy it that way. Now, do you do you? Uh, I don't see a warranty on here, but then again, after watching Tommy Boy, Tommy Boy, you really don't need a warranty if it's if it's worth a damn. I mean, we I I don't know if we have it on there or not. Well, for the most part, if you get a hold of me, if there's something going on, we'll get we'll get it taken care of. Um, I don't I don't have anything in writing, but it's it's one of those things I. I work with customers. I've had some that fits a little bit off with, and it's like, hey, you know what? Throw it back in the mail to me. Give me about 10 minutes with it, and I'll throw it back in the mail to you, and and we'll get it taken care of if that fit's not right. And if it's not just perfect, they're like, hey, maybe it just needs a different sized washer, a different sized rubber spacer. Um, so I'll throw, you know, no charge to them, throw some rubber spacers in the mail just so they have that ability to swap them out. Sometimes the mold gun's tolerances are just a little different than uh the actual gun itself so you know sometimes it's that simple fix like here i'll throw you in some different size screws some different sized rubber washers see if that works if not throw it in the mail to me and you know you you pay to mail it to me i'll pay to mail it back to you we'll, we'll split the difference and get her lined out and get it taken care of but it's just kind of you know I, anybody that's had the, any of those little defects or anything like that that they just need to tweak on it as soon as they reach out to me it's like hey get it back to me. Let me make it right. Cause that's definitely, you know, my big thing is I want it to work for you. I don't want something out there that doesn't work for you because the whole purpose behind any holster obviously is when you need it, you need it. It's a life or death thing. If you're pulling a pistol out for any reason and, and there's no room for error in those situations. That is exactly right. Cause that's what usually what happens is like, when you, when you pull that holster, when you pull that pistol out of your holster, you're going to be you expect to you're expecting yourself to use it and have your entire life change after that one after that one instant were you ever ex-military or were you just, or did you just go straight from high school into rodeo just rodeo i get i get asked that all the time as if i if i was ex-military but i'm not uh, i have a brother-in-law who's a, a marine and uh you know thankful to them and all those that serve uh, for all they do and it's uh you know, I, like I said, I get asked that all the time. I don't know if it's the beard and the bald head or, or the tattoos, but a, a lot of people ask me that, or if it's how I carry myself, I'll take pride on, 
any of those if that's what it is because uh i will never say that i was but uh i will definitely take pride in that so usually where it comes down to is like when i when i meet people that weren't it's just it's how you carry yourself or your stoicism behind it because you people that have seen some shit or gone through some shit usually have some type of stoic ability in themselves to keep themselves calm in in really stressful scenarios or like a friend of mine puts it they've all gone through a 9-11 experience and some of them range from a tragic car accident to being or to witnessing it or being collided or something something traumatic happening in your life where now it's like well it is what it is i've already gone through it now it's just gotta go keep moving forward because life doesn't stop well i think a lot of us guys at rodeo you know we all have that same kind of that same kind of little bit in us we've been through enough we've been through enough pain enough hurt we've beat ourselves up enough you know my wife tells me i'm a 60 year old man in a 37 year old's body because i got broken bones i never went to the doctor for i got all the all the battle scars all the bumps and bruises that you know when you're 20 years old 21 years old and you're tough i have a broken arm i don't need to go to the doctor for it it'll heal up and I'll, I'll I'll go into a doctor does when you're rodeo and just tell you that you can't rodeo no more and they're going to sideline you. So why would you want to go to the doctor at that point if they're going to tell you no, uh, you got to take a break. It's like, no, I got to get to the next one, the next one next weekend or the next one in a couple of days. And you just don't want to take that break. So you get in that headspace of, uh, no, let's, let's just keep rolling. Oh, completely get that one, man. So do you, what do you have uh, in store for the upcoming season? Do you have any hunts planned or, or any major archery events coming up? Um, hunts. I'm still working on kind of planning out my Colorado stuff. I got to get applied in on everything. Uh, gonna put in for some antelope out here on the plains. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, put in for some antelope out here on the plains, and then uh, do over the counter elk here again in Colorado. That's I'm building points, so you know we're blessed here in Colorado to have the opportunity to go over the counter, and I have some spots that you know I haven't succeeded there yet, but. You know, last year I was in them every single day, had some opportunities, clipped a limb and shot right underneath a nice bull. Um, luckily, it was a clean miss. You know, I would rather a clean miss than a bad hit and have to chase them around the mountains. I was up by myself for the first time, just went up solo. Um, none of my buddies could go and told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting it out this year because nobody else wants to go. I'm, I'm loading up the truck and I'm going. And, you know, I know for her that was an experience of me being up there alone for five days and her wondering you know what's going on luckily there was enough service i could at least send her a text give her a call each night let her know i was okay but yeah i know you and i've had some conversations while you're on the mountain too yeah we i think we touched base while i was up there i think i'd just yeah. gotten back into camp and you know had some had one night where i thought i'd thrown in an extra canister for my jet boil and hadn't and ran down into town and yep you told me that story one yeah, nobody had one, and I ran into some guys at the gas station that were headed out from their hunt, and they're like, "Hey, we've got an extra canister right here that's full. Just take it, you know." And that's that's a, that's what's so cool about the hunting community in general is just that kindness, that generosity of like, "Hey, take it. I've got extra ones in the truck. Here's here's one, so you don't have to come down off the mountain. You can stay up and go for a few more days." Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, Think I'm going to go up to Montana, not hunt this year, but uh, my buddy Shane asked me if I wanted to come up and tag along, maybe call some elk for him, um, kind of play around up there a little bit for a few days. So that's kind of my plan so far that I've gotten kind of hammered out there. They're in progress, I guess. Those are kind of the in-progress plans for hunting season. And um, this summer, we've got a couple events we're going to. We're going to be vendor at Western Hunt, hunt Fest. Uh, 
they're doing one down in New Mexico at the end oh, of April. And then they're doing one in Bailey. And I would have to look up the dates on that one. Um, but we're going to be at both of those. Uh, the one down in New Mexico is going to be at NRA Whittington. Um, I think it's going to be a really cool event. We did their first one last year. And uh, that one up in Bailey, man, it was just a blast. You know, everything from just the archery shoot, scored archery shoot with some great prizes, um, all the way to a pack out challenge of a simulated elk. They did a team and an individual. And then uh, the elk calling competition too. So just a great event and very family oriented. Come up, have a good time. Um, they actually added a women's pack out challenge this year too. So. Yeah, I saw that on the website. I was looking through it. I think that's a pretty swell idea because, yeah, because like you said, uh, uh, April 29th, that's the one in New Mexico. I actually already have a prior engagement. Uh, HGUSA will have their first event at Vortex that weekend, so book for that one. Then June 24th is the Colorado one in uh, oh, Bailey that runs. And that was the same weekend. I'm going to be over in, in Utah at the – uh, beaver beaver shoot and that's that's my first time ever being above 10,000 feet and I was talking to Brandon the entire event is above 10,000 feet it's like wow so I've been doing a bunch of research I've been I've been going taking taking my rehab serious with my hip because I took a hard fall a couple of years ago so I've been going through and actually following the rules and or following their uh, instructions to the T so this is why I'm, I'm better for it because I've been doing every time I go to the workout, I do a 5K. I just do a 5K, highest incline I can do it. I just need to get myself and and go on. Then Merrill has a really good non-exercise program that you can do, and you can break them all up. But I typically end with rows. And if you do their exercises right and you hit your rows at the very end, you, you by the time you hit 50, 60, your body is just like you could feel every muscle group just firing like it should. It's just absolutely amazing. And – uh, wilderness athlete came out with something called the altitude advantage and it's an oxygen it's a it helps boost the oxygen to your delivery system acclimate even faster combat uh, altitude sickness and a lot of people have been saying take it three weeks prior to to whatever you're doing because it's like for some people it's just it doesn't hurt when you start as long as you start doing it and then i don't I'm not sure are you familiar with wim hof so wim hof is uh he's he's uh the ice man and he has created multiple breathing exercises and tantric uh, uh, meditations and such to be able to uh, help you along the way for breathing exercises. And he's developed his whole mission is pretty um, inspiring for what he had to go through back in 1990 because he has a very tragic story himself. And he has now gone on to set like 27 or 28 world records. He summited, well, he summited Everest once, but he climbed it twice. And they required him to, to walk it up or to climb it in shorts and boots. His original uh, approach to it was just to wear shorts, to be barefoot, no shirt, no pants, no, no nothing, just going all out there because he wanted to show people that mind over matter. And he, he is just a, a remarkable man, but uh, really helps with um, depression and helping boost your immune system. It's like he's got a lot of really good information. He's been on. Rogan's podcast, and he's been on Dr. Jordan Peterson's podcast. Just interesting guy to listen to, and how he all goes through it. He has a he has definitely a very distinct ac uh, accent, but you can't uh, misinterpret his information because he just nails it every time. I tell people if you want to learn about him, listen to his episode from 2015 with Joe Rogan. 
So it's obviously now it's almost 10 years ago, but it's a really good one to kind of introduce you into him. And then you can go and you can research him on Facebook and YouTube and all the other Instagram, all the other different means to do it. But just got a lot of valuable information about how to basically over-oxygenate your blood. And if you do it right, you get this euphoria that hits you really, really well. It's, it's just, it's something that you can't explain unless you've gone through it. And so I've been kind of going through those motions on doing that and getting myself prepped for it because I don't want to want to get sick because this turns out to be a good experience. Well, then I need to start like I could do this now. It's like, well, let's, let's try to bring in an elk hunt here in the next five years. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's no joke. I have buddies that have gone up with us that have gotten altitude sickness and had to go down and rest down in town for a few days. And then we couldn't go up quite as high because there's times, you know, even this year I camped up about 10,000 feet on my elk hunt and, you know, would drop down. That gave me the ability to drop down either side of the ridge. You know, if I just hunting there out of camp, I could drop either side of the ridge or I could hop in the truck and head over to a trailhead or whatever. But, but it just gives you that ability. But we've had buddies that have run into that same thing that just, you know, it's, it's a bummer when you get up there and you're ready to hunt and that's what knocks you out of something as, you know, silly as, a, as that. And you have no control over it at that point. Once it, once it hits, there's nothing you can do, but get down to a lower elevation and get to feeling better. Um, so, so yeah, it's no joke. I, I'm like I said, blessed to have grown up here. My wife grew up, up in Conifer, up in the mountains. I've spent a lot of time up there and knock on wood so far. I've never had issues with it. I know some people develop it later in life. I live out here on the flatlands in eastern, uh, northeastern Colorado now. So, uh, but we spend enough time going up to visit her folks and her brother and everybody up there that it just, I'm blessed to not have to overly worry about it. But it is a different, a different deal when you get into especially that physical activity up there. And you know, I think, I think I about talked myself into maybe doing the pack out challenge uh, at Western Hunt Fest this year. I'll do one of them. I don't know if I'll do. New Mexico, maybe just because it's a little bit lower altitude than Bailey's going to be, or if I'll do Bailey because it's a little bit shorter route. They kind of tried to even it out. They've got a, a longer route in New Mexico because it's at lower elevation and a shorter route up in Bailey. Um, and then I talked my wife into. I told her she's going to do the women's one and you know try her luck. I I doubt I'll win the thing, but I'll at least put my nose to the grindstone and try. I've been out running in my 40 pound weighted vest, you know, lifting, trying to stay in shape, get ready for season. The same thing I do anyways, but pushing a little bit harder, a little bit earlier to try and be ready for some of those events. Um, and then I think hopefully if a cards roll right, I'll also be a vendor up at best of the best up there at Bailey too. It's up at American Bowman, um, Aaron Schneider from Kafaru and Luke Cadillo from gladiators unleashed put on a shoot up there, best of the best. And, uh, it's a it's a legit shoot. It's for the killers and man, it's it's a it's a good time. It's fun. It's 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 not your normal 3D shoot. It's hunting setups only. Uh, crap talking's encouraged. Uh, mess with the guys shooting. That's kind of their whole thing. Is is let's see who's the best of the best. And I know Saturday they do a team shoot, so it's a compound archer and a traditional archer um, as a team, and they combine their scores, and then they do the shoot off, and then Sunday it's a uh, you know, a compound one-on-one, -on -one, everybody versus everybody, and traditional everybody versus everybody. We went up to that one last year. Uh, last year, they did it in May, though, and we got over a foot of snow right before it. So, I mean, it was like best of the best next level last year because 
fresh foot of snow on the ground. They were having to dig out the 3D targets, the smaller ones from in the snow, just so you could see it. Um, but it was a good time, definitely. So um, I was up there last year as a vendor. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be up there this year again as a vendor and uh, be a part of that one as well. Ooh, that's insane, man. If you if you, if you, if you weren't so busy, I'd recommend going. We have a Beast Mode Archery Challenge has an endurance race, and it's eight laps, which is, well, it's about eight, it's about, I think it's nine hours an endurance race. You can run it as an individual or you can run it as a team, a team of four. But you have to, but as if you run it as a team of four, you have a hundred pounds to distribute between four people. It's an individual. I think it's uh, 60 pounds or 80 pounds. And the, and eat one lap is 2.2 miles long. And then on top of the two, you have two. I believe it's two targets you've got to shoot throughout the entire thing just to kind of go through the whole process and dealing with the fatigue of the whole nine. And you're also going up and down elevation. I mean, Brian Austin is a devious little redhead. It's like, it's just absolutely <laughs> funny like how, how this guy works out. Oh, so here it is. So if you're doing a solo division, 30 pounds for a male and 25 pounds for a female. So not much. And then if you do a team, it's a hundred pounds per person. Not everybody has to shoot during that tournament. So it is something that uh, is he's trying, he's doing. Then he also has the BMAC games, which is a challenge for anybody. Like this is, this is to kind of, he has a, a workout routine. He started partner up with fit to hunt or fit to eat. I believe I, I get it mixed up because there's so many of them like that. And the BMAC games is he's got three different stages it's going to be a seven-hour-long thing, different shoots, different positions. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a nightmare. It is absolutely a nightmare. I've, I've, I did it in 2019. I didn't even compete. I just did the course, and it will let you know what you are lacking in to be able to support it because you do have to either, either summit 5,000 feet or you have to come down 5,000 feet over the course of the, of the entire course. And the, uh, the ruck is like a three-mile ruck. With 25 pounds for male, 30 pounds for females. Yeah, it's and then you also have a pack out stage too, where you you are you're test you and your ability to load and carry 80 pounds up and downhill. Yeah. Then you also have a proficiency shot. It's a 60 yard one. So it's like you gotta run with your bow, get ready to shoot, and let one off and still be accurate. And if you miss, or if you anything outside a heart shot, you get seconds tacked on and minutes tacked on. So it is quite a challenge. So if you're looking for something to do this summer, and if you have time, this would be right up your alley, especially if you like testing yourself. Oh, yeah, that, that one sounds fun. And, I mean, that's kind of – Western Hunt Fest isn't quite that physical, but they definitely have set it up for uh, to mimic your hunting shots. And that's I think that's what is cool with them, a similar type of deal. You know, there's one you got to do a sprint and then shoot, so you got that heart rate up and elevated. One, you got to crawl a little ways with your bow and then take the shot kneeling. Last year, they had a blind set up, and that one that one was miserable because I'm six foot tall. So if I stand up in the blind, I, my eyes see about that, see nothing. If I kneel, then it's right here, and I can't see nothing. So I had to do that awkward squat it out and try to draw my bow and get a shot off. And You know, my wife's lucky. She's short enough. She could just stand up in there and see it just plain as day. but you had those extra few inches on top and it made it completely different. So, Oh man, you know, they, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. They played those games. So that's cool. Fun. 
How many targets are at this? At this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the guy next weekend, but I might as well get a little rundown from you. How many targets for the 3D shoot? I think it's 20 targets total, I want to say. Um, and every year, that's the cool thing. It's up there at American. Well, I don't know. NRA will be the first year there, so I don't know what they're doing on uh, those courses down in New Mexico. Um, but best of or not best of the best, American Bowman up in Bailey, they use their courses that they've set. And, uh, yeah, I mean, unless you've been up there and shot it as a member of the club the week before, you don't know what you're heading into. And they've got some good, you know, angles up and down steep shots. And that's what makes it interesting, you know, because those are the ones that tend to get everybody is that, you know, especially that upward angle for me, I tend to pull them left because I overextend and start playing that game with myself. Um, But it makes it fun. You know, they make you hold your bow for, 10 to 15 seconds before you can shoot on a shot. I'm that guy that usually likes to draw and get on target and fire pretty quick. So for me, that's the one that gets me is everybody else standing behind you, counting down your seconds before you can, you know, hit your release and let one go. And then they do the opposite to get the other people where it's like, draw your bow and shoot within 10 seconds. And, you know, just makes it fun to mimic those different hunting scenarios of, like, hey, if that thing takes one more step, we're losing this shot, so I got to fire quickly, or that draw and wait for him to take that step, where you're just holding, hoping they take that step in the next little bit, so you can actually get this shot off before your arm starts shaking too bad. So, isn't that something going through the whole process of you're you're sitting here and all of a sudden you you start feeling your 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 hand is holding the brace and it's starting to shake, or you're starting to throw, it's starting to pulse. It's like, well, this is going to be interesting because now it's like you're you trained yourself to like to let down because you know you're not going to pull off a good shot. Oh, yeah, that's 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 the big thing is you train that, but when you're in that moment of you have to take the shot, you have to make that decision. Are you going to let one walk because you may not get a shot to draw again? Are you going to shoot? And, you know, I've got the distractions. Those, those don't get me too bad anymore. We've been shooting, like I said, 3D about once a week at a local league, indoor league here. And I throw my two-year-old in our baby carrier backpack while we're shooting so she's not running around well. If you think you're good, throw a two-year-old on your back, and about the time you anchor in and get on your peep, she grabs your head and starts wiggling your head around while you're trying to <laughs> shoot, and, or oh, she's tickling funny. your ear, or sticking her gummy wrapper in your ear, or reaching down and grabbing my beer. That I'm like, baby girl, just quit, like quit for ten seconds. Let me get this shot off, then you can do whatever you want to do. Oh, that is hilarious. Because well, she's been making a mosquito. It's like she's not <laughs> wrong with that. Oh yeah, she's good at, or she'll start bouncing up and down and kick the back of my arm as I'm at full draw. She'll reach up and start kicking me right there, and it definitely, it definitely keeps it interesting. And uh, you know, I'm like, if I could go one time and not have her on my back, I could actually, you know, maybe shoot a good rap because it, inevitably I'll be doing good, and she'll bump me right as I'm breaking that shot, and it goes off somewhere off to the side, and I'm like, well, that one's out, so. That's all right, though. That's the best part. Like, she, you get him involved in that song at young age. My daughter's nine, so we got her. We got her a mission bow last year. We took her to her first R100 last year. Uh, we took her to several of the HJ USA shoots. We done a, and she'll shoot. Third, be twelve. She, her cat, her she gets a little tired and cranky around twenty to twenty-five targets, but she'll get out there and she'll shoot and stuff like that. And she's picking up on it and stuff like that. She recognizes where she makes a mistake at one the whole process we got her to kiss her butt and got her a wrist release but i introduced her to uh a thumb release here just a few weeks ago and, she, and it's like told her it's like because we have one of those uh accubos it's like just draw back 
And I told her, like, take, find your two knuckles, find your back of your chin, get it lined up there, and then just let it go. And it's like, just make sure, and I tell her, just like, make sure you kick your elbow out so this way it doesn't snap you in the forearm because it's happened. She usually does it once a season and then she stops. It's like, it's, but it's, everybody tells her, like, oh, you should get her one of those forearm braces. Like, that's where you can get lazy, you know? It's like, it's the having that discipline will make sure it doesn't happen again. And she does, and usually she only happens only a couple of times because she was either tired or cranky or she didn't want to do it anymore. And it's just how it only works out. But man, it's so much fun though getting the kids involved and especially your four year old. Do you, do you have her with a little, little itty bitty bow? Yeah. So we've got actually um, my oldest, she's got a little kind of half compound thing that she loves to shoot anytime we're there. And if she can get her arrow to stick in something, she's just ecstatic. And then we've got the little bare green bow that my uh, my two year old will shoot. That's a that's an experience to go help her shoot because she'll grab it, you'll get an arrow on, and before you can even get her arm up to aim it, she's trying to pull it and let it go. And I'm like, hang on, like, give me two seconds to get you at least pointed <laughs> at the target before you just let this thing fly. And then she's trying to chase them to go get them as soon as she shoots one. And I'm having to grab her because I'm like, there's other people shooting, baby girl. Like, you can't just go running after them here. It's different than, you know, we shoot here at the house. And it's like, it's a different world when we're somewhere else with people. You got to pay a little better attention. And I mean, my youngest is, uh, I like to tell my wife, my oldest is her personality through and through. Um, she's, you know, the more mellow one, a little bit more timid. And then my two-year-old, she is, she's me. I, I, I'm getting paid back for everything I ever <laughs> did with her because she is me through and through. She is wild. She is rowdy. She is a troublemaker. And I'm like, all right, well, this this is my payback. This one's me. And, you know, she's the, she's the one. I think she just got her hand bit by my wife for the first time because she decided to bite her sissy and bite her sissy hard. And it was that moment of like, here, you're going to get paid back the same you got. So you learn. And she'll still try to reach over and bite you. And I'm like, would you just quit and calm down? Like, it's, yeah, they're, they're a riot. They teach you, teach you everything you thought you knew. You learn you didn't know nothing. So. Oh, yeah. Especially when it's girls. So like, you, I, I've, I've catching myself where I become, I, I go into my dad voice too quickly. And it's like, I need to be a little bit more relaxed. And it's like, I gotta remember she's only 10 and she, I, need, I want her to have fun and, not have her be feel feel pressure to do something, you know, and so that's where I have I have to catch my own self because it's like you're so used to being around boys or men or young young adults, you know, so you can you can be able to be a little bit sharper with them. Uh, girls are a whole other ball game, you know. It's like I'm learning that the hard way, you know. So, but luckily I've uh, I met a lot of really great female archers that have really like taken a, a bonding tour and giving, and she's opening up and she's talking to him like I just did a. A podcast last weekend at the Deer uh, Iowa Deer Classic, and, we, and she talked about her struggles with dealing with Lyme disease and and learning more about her overcoming all the stuff. Is still willing to get out in in the ground blind and go after whitetails. Yeah, I think I listened to that one. That was a really really good one. And uh, you know, I, I they're at the age there. My two girls, they're still figuring out what they want to do. They love horses. You know, we go. Oh, just every other Monday night, and we have some local high school kids that I'm helping teach to ride saddlebone courses and bareback courses, and so they get to come do that, and inevitably they end up on somebody's saddle horse riding around, and there's a high school gal there that uh, she's picking up uh, bucking horses, you know, and doing all that, and my oldest daughter just 
idolizes her and just looks up to her so much. And I'm like, you know, you find what you want, but that's, that's what I always said is, you know, if they want to dance, I'll support them dancing. If they want to shoot bows or rodeo, the things I love, I'll dang sure support them in that. But if it's skateboarding or whatever it is, you know, let them find their passion. I can't force mine on them, but it sure is fun at this age where they love the same things. You know, if I get out an elk bugle tube, they both grab it and they're making elk noises through the bugle tube, trying to bugle without a reading or something and playing around. And, you know, we're watching elk hunting TV shows there. They've got their toy bows out or they've got, they're making elk noises as I'm watching them. So it, it's definitely fun. And I always wanted a boy, but I've got two little girls and you know what they I've learned they can do just about everything a boy can do, but at the end of the day, you still got your little girl, and that's definitely something special. You know, I've listened to, to guys like like Tim Kennedy, like he was trying for he had multiple girls, and when he finally had a boy, it's like he had to stop taking out t- taking care of himself, stop running, and just basically allow himself to get unhealthy, and then so, and, and all of a sudden he had the he had a boy because. You look at look at most athletes. Like I have a girl. Uh, I have a buddy of mine. He has two boys. Then he finally had a girl. And so I was like, "Yeah, you started getting shape. That's what happened." <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's what we'll try. If we decide to try for one more, then maybe I'll have to try that out because I know I know my wife's always wanted a little boy too. I think she looks at that uh, daddy daughter relationship and she wants that mom and son relationship that you see on the other side of it, especially at this younger age that. Uh, she kind of sees the the way they are with daddy on that. You know, it's a special thing, that relationship between a dad and his daughters. And my my dad had it with my older sister growing up. And, you know, it's it's just something different. And I had that with my mom growing up. So you, you see that. And I think that's what she's, she really, really kind of envies when she sees moms out with their little boys that, uh, you know, if it's in the cards for us, God will align the cards for us. If not, uh. You know, girl dad life isn't too bad, that's for sure. That is very true. Now, but the only thing is you're very disciplined. So, like, you trying to become lazy and not want to run three miles, good luck. About any time I go out for a run, my minimum is usually about three miles, if not more. So, it's it's hard for me. We went out today after gym workout, and, you know, my wife went to go for a jog with me, and I had the 40-pound vest on. She's like, can we just do, like, a mile today? Because we got the girls in the stroller and everything else. And I'm like, we get to my turn where I usually go to go like for like a three mile run and I like pause and I'm like pointing like which way. And she's like back towards the house, back towards the house. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, Oh man. Isn't that, it's, I get it though. I, I, cause it's like, I, I recognized it with everybody. Cause if you really put it down, if you look at fathers that have multiple boys, stuff like that, you're usually depends on what, how you look at their lifestyles of life. But sometimes like to have a, a farm full of boys. Like I have my, my grandpa had all boys. And I think it came down to his love for beer or not really like he's farm strong, like he's dealing with horses. And because, I mean, they didn't have uh, they did. They, they had uh, uh, pulled by horse tillers up until the 60s, you know, before they had their first tractor on the farm. So they it was a very rough, hard life. I mean, their toilet, their indoor plumbing was 20 yards out in the middle of the field or middle of the yard there. So like going to the bathroom in the wintertime was very uh uh, what's where I'm very cautious. Uh, <laughs> didn't have running water, so it's like they. they this was this is Iowa, 1950s, 1960s, where they lived at and such. So putting that all in perspective, and my dad told me like he went up and to visit his home, his his dad or my grandfather's homestead 
all the way up there in North Dakota. And it's like, see why he left. And never went back. <laughs> but, you know, it's a having to be able to have four boys like that. He must have had something that was holding him back, whether it be tobacco or not working out or whiskey or beer or something like that. Something that's not going to, I think it's their body's telling your sperm to transition to produce boys to help you on the farm to sustain a healthy life. There's a few of those I definitely probably need to take care of. My tobacco habit isn't always the best for me, but you know, that that goes back to the lifestyle I grew up in, the rodeo lifestyle. I think I've been chewing Copenhagen since I was 14 years old. So at this point, it's kind of just, you know, I, I'd be able to quit for a while, you know, if I took a break from rodeo and I'd quit. And then, you know, much like us archers, the rodeo guys are, we're real, real, Wow. Super, I wouldn't say superstitious, but we have our habits, our routine oriented. And, you know, I remember I'd quit and I went to get on a bronc and I was like, man, something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. Like, what's different? What's different? I was like, I don't ever chew in. I've never been on a bucking horse without a chew of Copenhagen in. Like, like somebody give me a chew right now just to get that, that comfort back. And then after, as soon as I did, I was like, all right, we're good. We're back to normal, you know? And it's just that you just have those habits, those routines, those rituals. And, uh, yeah, there's a few of those that I, you know, I told my wife a while back that I was going to quit chewing Copenhagen and I was getting hired by a new company at my full-time job. And she was like, let's make it through that before we decide to just cut that out because you're already riding that stress level a little high. The last thing I need is you to take that away and really allow yourself to go off the rails on that. I've talked to, I have a buddy of mine, his name's Al. He hasn't been on the podcast yet, but him and I shoot, we shot we shoot quite frequently together. We were both members of the same club here uh, for archery and such. And he chewed for a lot of years. And he talked to a dentist to, to find, like, what's the best way to quit? Is there any means for it? It's like, the only way you're going to be able to do it is you have to literally cold, uh, quit cold turkey. Because it's like there's so much nicotine that hits the bloodstream so fast. There's no, there's not really anything to replace it. Unless if, like, because some people with that smoke cigarettes, they used to be able to could swap them out with brushing the teeth. I had a buddy of mine kicked smoking cigarettes that way. I had a friend of mine, she started chewing gum every time that she wanted to crave a cigarette. So that broke that habit right there. And eventually stopped chewing gum. So it's like, it's chewing, uh, chewing tobacco is a, is a very difficult thing to break. Oh, it's uh, like I said, I think the longest I've gone is, I think I went a year once. And then as soon as I had one, it was back. It was right back on the yeah. bandwagon. It was, it was done for like, I, I know I can do it. It's just, I just have to set my mind to, to doing it. And, you know, I spend 10 hours a day in my pickup by myself when I'm at work. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just something to pass the time anymore. It's just the norm of throwing in a chew. And it's just what I do that it's just breaking those habits, those rituals, those, for me, I, I mean, the nicotine, I know that's there, but for me, it's almost those habits, those rituals, those routines, you know, like you finish eating dinner. And the first thing that pops to mind is like, I think I'll throw a chew in right now, but it's just fine, just breaking through those and resetting. And so she, I, I told her I'd do it. So I'll probably give it a go again here in a little bit and try and get all the way off of it and just be free of it. But I also like it too much sometimes <laughs> to uh, to be able to quit it. So <laughs> I completely get it. My dad started smoking. He, he, my dad quit smoking for a good solid 10 years and then he retired and he got bored. He started smoking those little Swisher sweets and stuff like that. So now just to pass the time. Then in 2020, in January 2020, he went and did a treatment and quit. Now he no longer does it anymore. So it's like he's liking the, the having his taste back, 
and being more able to breathe and and just it just he's seen a lot more uh, health benefits since he finally quit again. Now, is there anything we haven't covered that you want to say before we uh, close out? No, I mean I think I think we've covered most of everything. Um, you know, if anybody has any questions on any of the products or anything like that, always feel free to reach out and hit me up. Um, I try to get back to everybody as quick as I can, and uh, you know we list our lead times. We do have a little bit of a lead time. Uh, I do make everything by hand. Um, we make everything by hand, so it's just that time of getting that custom fit, getting that just squared away, and uh, you know, especially patterns and stuff. Those luckily don't affect lead times for us because my vendors. I've got some great vendors that just take care of me on getting me products as soon as I get them ordered. But, but yeah, I take that time. I put the effort in by hand. You know, my wife, when we first started, was quality control. And I'll tell you what, you want to make sure your quality control is spot on. My wife was, I'd, I'd hand her one back. I think it's pretty good. And she'd run around and feel every edge and be like, you missed a spot right here. And I'm like, where? And she'd be like, you don't feel that? I'm like, no. And she's like, well, I do. And so go back out, work on it for a few more minutes, bring it back in. And uh, yeah, but we're always here to answer questions. We're always game to try and take on a new challenge and uh, try to put something together. Awesome chance. Well, what are the best ways to, to reach out to you? Um, Either through the email rutholsters at gmail.com um, or Instagram. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is rut underscore holsters. And then if you just look up Holsters on Facebook, we're there too. Um, and you can always just contact us directly through the website. There's an option to chat on there. Um, if I'm if nobody's at the website at the point, it'll shoot an email over to us that I try to get back to everybody pretty quickly or somebody tries to get back to everybody fairly quickly. Um, website's just rutholsters.com. Simple and easy. Perfect. And my father-in-law mentioned it. It's like he really likes your name. It's very catchy. So he chimed in for a little bit to, to watch our podcast. So I want to say thank you for joining me, man. This was, it was, it was fun. It's finally nice to have a chance to chat with you and keep in mind bear season's coming up. So get your sidearms holsters ready to go for this upcoming season. Don't, don't delay, get them in right away because this seasons are going to be starting relatively, relatively real quick. And on top of that too, I just watched a video of a guy turkey hunting down in Florida and all of a sudden he has a competition of a florida panther so you never know no matter where you're at we're going to run into an apex predator so be on the lookout be mindful but get yourself a rut holster when you have a chance we're going to we're going to close this down and then we're going to move into our uh cooking podcast which will come out on friday but uh you'll have to wait until that episode on friday so i want to say thank you for coming on the podcast thank you so much thank you for your time and thanks for having me you're welcome chance